Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hello, this is Dig a Bit number two for the month of April 2019. We're in month eight of our Digging Deep study about authority. And tragically, this week, earlier this week, the Cathedral of Notre Dame burned in Paris. And of course, anytime there is loss, we are sorry that such occurs. But as I read about this tragic event, I was reading from uh, one of the Catholic cardinals, Cardinal Burke, who began by saying, I join in prayer with the devout Catholics of Paris, of France, and of the whole world, for whom the Cathedral of Notre Dame is a living expression of our deep faith in God and our ardent love of Him. And then he goes on to say that um, because of God's immeasurable and unceasing love of us in the church, churches are also the house of the church. He said that the Cathedral of Notre Dame is truly a hymn of praise to the mystery of the incarnation of God the Son in the womb of the blessed Virgin Mary. He said the power of Notre Dame's beauty is used to convert hearts. He said that um, yesterday's event is a sobering reflection upon the destructiveness of man's rebellion against the beauty, truth, and goodness with which God has created us in our world and has redeemed us in our world by the redemptive incarnation of His only begotten Son, the very event celebrated in the building of the Cathedral of Notre Dame. He says here that uh, with, with devout Catholics of Paris, of France, and of the Universal Church, I pray that somehow imitating the sacrificial faith hope and love of those who first built the Cathedral of Notre Dame, we may all join to restore what has been lost through yesterday's fire. He said, though, that this was a living hymn of stone and light in praise of that act, unique in the annals of human history, the eternal Word of God entering our history in the fullness of time to redeem us by His self-offering in the sacrifice of the cross. The part that I wanted to read to you, though, was how he described, for Catholics, churches are not monuments, but are the house of God in which we really and truly encounter heaven. The words the buildings are the house of God and that Notre Dame is a living expression really does fly in the face of what the New Testament teaches about our God whose house is not made with hands. When I think about the house of God today, I'm very glad that it is not a building the house of God is not material stones and mortar, but the house of God today is the church. I'm going to read something else here. The house of God today is the church, and we are individually also referred to as the temples of God. 
but we are living stones in the house of God. First Peter chapter two, verse five. First Peter chapter two, verse five. If you're following along, you might want to turn to First Peter chapter two. And there we read, you also as living, well, we're talking about Christ, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Christ is a living stone, disallowed or rejected of men, but chosen of God and precious. That's verse 4. Verse 5, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, it's also contained in the scripture, and that's Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. To you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But to them which are disobedient or disbelieved, the stone which the builders rejected, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them who stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they were also appointed. So it makes it really clear here that our analogy today is that Christ is, is the chief cornerstone, and we as Christians are the living stones in the house of God. So if there is a living house of God, it is not a material building like Notre Dame built of stones and uh, physical stones, but it is that we are living stones. And certainly if there's a living expression today, it is the house of God, which is made up of Christians. And I'm so glad that the house of God will not burn. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to look there just for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he who has worked for us the self-same thing is God, who has also given us the earnest of the Spirit. Uh, Paul here is assuring us of our hope of immortal glory, And he is telling us that even if our earthly house is burned up, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And I would go on to say that according to our verse in 1 Peter, we are living stones in that house of God. And we, as that house of God, will never be destroyed. Well, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how Many, many rituals have occurred throughout the years in the edifice that burned yesterday, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. And I was thinking about the concept of authority and how that the Catholic priesthood is nothing like the priesthood that the New Testament describes, which includes all Christians. We are all priests, First Peter went on to say in that same text in 1 Peter 2 that we're a chosen generation, a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation. So the priests today are are the Christians, the common people who have obeyed God are the priests today. And so anything additional, any priestly garments, any priestly rituals, uh, incense burning, etc., um, the taking of confessions, any of those things, of course, would be additional unauthorized activities. And while we're thinking about that, I, from our reading that we've been doing this month in Exodus chapters 25 through 31, I believe is what I ask us to read. And if you are, you really are just supposed to be marking there what, um, has to do with the details of the Ark of the Covenant. But as I was reading those passages, I thought of the silence of the scriptures and all of the many, well, really an infinite number of of commands could have been given there that were not given, an infinite number of possibilities of things that we could add to what was instructed here in Exodus 25 to 31. And at the end of all that adding, we could say, but I didn't do anything that the Bible said not to do. Those Israelites could have done an infinite variety of different activities. And at the end of the day said, yeah, but I didn't do anything that God said not to do. God didn't tell me not to do any of these things. And obviously what we're learning this month is that when God tells us what to do, then the law of exclusion applies to everything additional, any added activity or any veering from the specific instructions that God has given us. So... I wanted us to take just one of those chapters. Let's look at verse at chapter 29 and let's just uh, use our imaginations and think about some of the things that the priests or that the Israelites could have thought about as they were reading these commands of God. So let's first look at chapter 29, verse 3. It's actually talking here about one young bullock, two rams without blemish, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes tempered with oil and wafers anointed with oil made of wheat flour and all of those things it says verse 3 shalt thou put into one basket and bring them in the basket with the bullock and the two rams well that's going to have to be a pretty good good sized basket to hold a bullock and two rams one basket and you're going to bring um well, maybe you don't bring the bullock and the rams in the basket, but you're going to bring an unleavened bread and cakes and wafers made of wheat flour. And suppose you say, but every Aaron and his sons would each like to carry a basket and it would make them feel more holy, more consecrated and more involved. They would like to show their opposites to God. So they could each carry a basket and one of them could have in his basket the bread and one could have the cakes and one could have the wafers. And that way each priest would still have one. So wouldn't that be a good thing if we divided up that responsibility so that each priest could actually be involved in that work? They could have reasoned that way and said, 
but we're not disobeying God. We're not. We still have one basket. It's just that each man has one basket. They could have thought that way. And they could have said, but God didn't say not to have those extra baskets. Verse 6. You shall put the turban on his head. This is the high priest. And put the holy crown on top of the turban. And suppose that Aaron had said, you know, that turban doesn't feel good. It doesn't fit my head exactly right. So this first time, I think I'm just going to wear the crown because I'm a little bit afraid the crown's going to fall off. So let's lay the turban aside because God didn't say not to if it doesn't fit. And then verse 7, you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. What if Aaron had said, yeah, we are going to take the anointing oil. But you know, blood is so dear to us as Israelites. It is so important to us. And we realize that without blood, there's no remission of our sins. And I want blood to have a part in this too. So let's mix a drop of blood with the anointing oil in front of the people. And then you put it on my head because I always want to have contact with the blood. And God said anointing oil, but he didn't say not to use blood with that anointing oil. Let's skip on down to verse 9. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them, and the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, and you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. Now just suppose Aaron's sons said, but I'm trying to bring up my child. I'm trying to bring up my six-year-old in the ways of the Lord. I want him to walk in the ways of the Lord all the days of his life. And I know that Deuteronomy 6 says that we're supposed to teach and you know he wouldn't have called it Deuteronomy 6 but he would say I know that we're supposed to teach our children four times during the day I know all of that about the law but I really want my son to get to see what we're doing in the holy place I really want them to get to be with their grandfather just as he's entering the most holy place because I think that'll be really good for their rearing and so I want my sons to have these little robes made too so that they can be a part of that. And God didn't say not to do that. And suppose then we go on down to verse 12. You shall take the blood of the bullock and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And suppose Aaron had said, but God involves hyssop so many times. And hyssop was so special when we left the land of Egypt at the Passover, we used hyssop to put the blood on the doorposts. And it'll mean so much. In fact, I saved a piece of hyssop from the actual Passover. And I know that God would be pleased with that memorial of his great power at the Passover. After all, we're using unleavened cakes like the Passover. And I've got this hyssop. And that will be so monumentally special. And God didn't say not to use the hyssop. And I'd still be using my finger in a sense. He could have said that. You have been listening to part one of the Digabit podcast entitled, But God Didn't Say Not To. This digabit has been divided into two separate uploads. Please join us next time for the conclusion of this study. 
If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Dig a Bit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.